this morning we're, we're on actually two little portions where, where the psalmist says he, he leads me or he guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, the focus being on the fact that God guides us and gives us purpose. And uh, Josh sent me my little assignment months ago, and I saw the word guidance, and I just was afraid uh, because I feel like guidance for the Christian life can just get so tricky, and what, what you would end up wanting from me is like three steps on how to receive guidance from God, and the, I just don't have three steps. I don't have anything like that. Um, I think guidance has like this m- mythical place in our lives at times where we're just like waiting for, I don't know, a glow to descend from heaven, a letter from God in the mailbox, something in of that nature. I know that uh, when I was dating my wife in college, I often felt like she was seeking guidance on every piece of clothing that she was to wear while I was waiting for her in the lobby of Anderson dorm. And um, I would just wait there for hours, it felt like. And, but we all do this. It's not just my wife, it's me. We can find ourselves just stuck in a place like, God, when are you gonna tell me what to do? And you're just sitting there forever. And I think there are issues there that we will kind of touch on, but I'm not aiming to solve that problem for you. So if that's you, tough cookies, I have no answer for you. Um, <clears throat> the focus of this passage is not guide me in the path of righteousness. It is the purpose for which God guides you in the path of his righteousness. And that's for his name's sake. And so often we approach guidance with no room for purpose. And we spend our time trying to figure out, God, can you answer this question for me? Can you show me where am I to go? What am I supposed to do? What, how am I supposed to do what I want? Or how am I supposed to find fulfillment? How do I make it through this life? All the while we miss the second part of this verse where it says, in his name, for his name's sake. And the purpose of our lives is clearly outlined for us in all of scripture. So we get caught up in our own little tiny world, asking God to fix our problems or show us the way. And the reality is that the psalmist says, you guide me in the path of righteousness for your own sake. And we think of our righteousness, we think of it often for our sake. Like, I need to do moral things. I need to do good things. I need to do righteous things because these are the things that God requires of me. So if I'm going to be led in the path of righteousness, it's for me. This is the problem. I'm the unrighteous one. God's the righteous one. God needs to fix me. And David says, guide me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. And in the Christian life, it is is a sad reality that we have come to put ourselves in the center of the gospel. That the center of God's heart, we feel like, is us. There is a uh, a song that... uh, it became popular, I think it's not popular anymore, is a worship song, uh, Above All. You ever heard that song? Um, so much of it is 
is, okay, whatever. I like some of the words. Um, and then there's this part in the chorus where it says, you thought of me above all. Really? God, creator of the universe, the best thing in the entire world, thought of me above all. That is a lie. I think a lot of times we like to, it feels good, to imagine Jesus on his way to the cross, maybe on the cross, and like in his head, just to keep him going, he's just running through every one of these people that he's saving. He's just like giving them spiritual kisses on the forehead. I love you, I'm doing this for you. I made, I'm making it because of you. It's not true. And what's startling is our hearts are so messed up that we think if we're not the center of God's plan and God's love that he doesn't truly love us. Like, oh, what do you, what do you mean? I'm not, Jesus wasn't thinking of me above all. That's kind of like that. That's, that's fun. That's warm. That's cuddly. I like that about God. He thought of me above all. But the reality of God, the reality of the gospel, is that above all, God is doing what he's doing for his name's sake. He's taking us by the heart and by the hand, and he's leading us on the path of righteousness for our benefit, yes, but primarily for his name's sake. And when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't doing first and foremost so that you would die and go to heaven or that you would live an unbroken life. Primarily, he put himself on the cross so that you would know that God is holy, that God is just, that God is loving, that God is compassionate, and you should worship him. He put himself on the cross for his name's sake. And if we can't be passionate about a God who is passionate about himself, then we miss the gospel. And if your God isn't passionate about himself, then he is no God. If he's passionate about anything other than himself, he's an idolater. And you are an idolater by extension. For us, though, we hear that and we think it's unloving and harsh, and we almost feel used, I think. What do you mean? God's just using me to get his glory. Because we don't believe that God is that valuable. We don't believe that God is that beautiful. We don't believe that this is the place of God in the universe. You can believe that if you don't read the Bible. If you just want to make your own religion, that's fine. But you're using Jesus as a tool and a prop for your own dead religion. You have no idea what the gospel's about. You don't know what the Bible is about. And if you want to label yourself a Christian, that's fine, but it's a lie. Because if your God isn't passionate about his own glory, then he's less than. I'm, I'm just going to open one book of the Bible to show what I'm talking about. I'm going to just, I'm going to read some through Colossians. If you can't get the sense that this is what the passion of the biblical writers, then I don't, I don't know what I can do for you. 
But this is Paul in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. We'll start there. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There is no exception in that phrase. That in everything, in your salvation, in my life, in world history, in everything, God is doing what he wants, that he would be preeminent. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. My prayer for you, Paul says, is that you would come to an understanding of this one thing, Christ. And elsewhere, Christ, Paul says, this is what I preach, Christ and him crucified. Not you and your role in the story and how you feel like this should be outworked. This is, this, this is the story, Christ and him crucified. This is what I want you to know. And all throughout the book of Colossians, I can, I can read some more. I wrote, I wrote some more down. We can go to the next one, Colossians 3. This is just like the beginning of each chapter. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Where is the target that Paul has set? Is it heaven? Is it a good life? Is it good things? No. It's the person of Christ. Set your eyes on the things above you and seek after that one thing, Christ. Over and over and over and over again, this is the message. God is the gospel. This is why it's good news. Because God is awesome. And God himself is good news. And something in us rebels at that at first sight and says, no, the good news is that I'm not going to hell and that I can live a fulfilled life. Those are good things. That is part of the gospel. But they all start with the first point that God is awesome. This is the first and central point of the gospel. I, um, I went to see the movie Up in the Air recently. Has anybody seen that? Anybody? Not even a nod or a shake, just... Okay, some people have. Um, thank you for being alive. Um, I've, been, I've seen this previews for this movie 
six months before it came out or something, I was like, I really want to see this movie because I, I just felt like it was it was gonna say it was gonna go beyond entertainment and and move more into the art realm because entertainment is just like shut off your brain and have fun. Art is supposed to do something in you and make you think about things and make you re-examine the world. Um, so I'm not saying this is changing my life or anything, but it moved more in that direction, that it wasn't just empty entertainment. <clears throat> I felt like it was one of those movies where if just for a moment, culture looked us in the eyes and we looked into the soul of culture. And um, if you don't know the story, I will sum for you, uh, sum, sum up for you, or, or down, sum down, I don't know. Um, the story is about uh, George Clooney's character, uh, Ryan, and he's, his job is to fly around all the time and fire people. That's it. He just fires people. That's his job, to take their verbal abuse or whatever. They're crying, they're screaming, they're rationalizing, and he fires them. And at some point, there's like, a, oh, by the way, we're going to help you find a job too type thing. But really, he's just there to fire people. And he loves his job. He loves traveling. He's immersed in this solitary road lifestyle. And at some point, the, the job starts to change, and they're going to take him off the road. And this is what he loves doing. So the whole movie's about him showing this girl that's ending this system of what doing what he loves, how the job works, and why she shouldn't do it, and blah, blah, blah. And um, at one point, he, he, you see him sitting in a room with this older balding man and he's I mean he's got to be in his 50s and he's being informed that he's losing his job and and he is a little upset to be it's to be expected I think just plenty of us understand what that feels like and he throws down two pictures of his kids and like what am I supposed to do with them um, I need to feed them and clothe them and all that and uh, George Clooney's character looks at him and said uh, they never admired you and which, you know, maybe not the best time to develop that piece of information for him. And uh, he said, dude, what's your problem? Uh, and he said, uh, how long did it take you to sell out? And the guy's like, I'm going to kill you right now at this place. He didn't really say that, but that's really, you know, that's how he felt. Um, and he says, George Clooney looks at his resume and says, I see you're a minor in French cooking. And to get yourself through college, you worked as a line cook at this upscale bistro while everybody else was just pushing a broom or something to get through college. You love this, and you're good at it. How long did it take you, and how much did they have to pay you to give up on your dream? And it's this semi-emotional moment. You're supposed to, like, say, oh, George Clooney's maybe not such a jerk. No, he kind of is. And this guy, look at that. He's going to go pursue his dream. Yay. Um, and I think you're supposed to feel like this is what, what the director is telling you, the storytellers are telling you, you need to live your life with things that you're passionate about. This is your purpose. <clears throat> George Clooney in that movie lives what he's passionate about. He does what he loves. And um, the only problem is he lives by himself, Literally, he's in the air all the time, always traveling, always going. And so he has no friends, uh, no family relationships. And so ultimately, he starts to pursue relationships and become, I don't know, human. Um, 
and those things fail him. There's a lot of other things that happen, but at the end of the movie, you're pretty much just sad for this guy because he's tried doing what he loves, and it's failed him. And he has realized that it's an empty life, so he tries pursuing human relationships, and they failed him. And you can't help but look at that movie and say, well, what else is there? What else am I supposed to do? I don't know that that was the emphasis of the movie for the people who made it, but what else am I supposed to take away from this movie? I do what I love, and I pursue people I love, and all of that is vacuous and empty, and ultimately I'm left in the end of life disappointed. Well, now what? There is no answer within the world. You can pursue your own life and live for yourself. That's selfish. That's, pretty, that's a pretty easy one. If you live for yourself, that's selfish. Everybody can pretty much identify that, hey, that's lame. If you live um, to go beyond status and comfort and you just do what you're passionate about, like you, I don't know, you love leaves, so you run through leaves for your whole life. Or whatever it is, you sell insurance and you love it and you're passionate about it and you do your job. Ultimately, those things, they go away. You can get fail, fired, they can take away from you. Um, I don't know, something crazy might happen, something unimaginable like an economy could fail and people would lose their jobs that they love. Not that that would ever happen. So people are starting to kind of pick up on the fact that, hey, maybe this isn't the answer either. So the answer I think that, that most of us turn to by, by nature or by <coughs> suggestion from culture is, hey, live for other people. Live for other people. Serve people, take care of them, um, make them educated, do stuff for people in third world countries so they have better homes. Good things, very good things. But if I could ask this question, what, are, what direction, to what end, are you serving those people towards? If you better their lives, and you put them maybe in a position that's just like yours, what do they do with their life? You're serving them towards putting them back in the same system that you are in. You are dissatisfied with living for yourself and the things that you're passionate about, so you do other things for other people, and their life is better, but what about them when their life is better? What do they do then? Do they then just go through the whole process over again? Well, I can't live for myself. I can't live for the things that I'm passionate about because those things can be taken away from me, so I guess I better live for other people too. It's an endless system with no end in sight. It's just, well, everybody's just got to live for everybody else or else we're all going to feel like crap all the time. That's pretty much what it comes back down to, unless you can make the ultimate thing ultimate. If you can do what you love and do what God has called you to do and serve other people with him at the center of everything you do, you are doing it to an ultimate end. When I do what God calls me to do, I do it because he made me. 
and I want to make him famous. I want to say that he's done a good job because he's allowed me to do a good job. Look how great God is. I want to give stuff to other people and rescue them from slavery and, and prostitution, not because it's just a good thing to do, because I want people to see that God is merciful and compassionate, and the only place that you can find hope in this life, the only place you can find hope is Jesus. And if I'm not bringing anybody to that point in my life, I'm wasting my life. If you cannot find Jesus Christ as the ultimate, most valuable thing in your life, you are selling your life out. And whatever you're wasting your life on will run out on you. And if we have nothing to offer the world but good deeds, a hand up, clothes on their back, then we fail the mission of Jesus. Because Jesus Christ so that you do it in my name and you do it for my glory and I will lead you in the path of righteousness for my name's sake. And if we don't put God at the center of the gospel, at the center of our hearts, we are an impotent people. We are a useless people and we miss the mark. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called sin. In our own striving, in our own wanting to do good things, we sin. Because we make it about us or even somebody else when everything is about God. And it is a disaster if we can't value God that highly. We are talking about God. He's not an idea. He's not something, a system that we can buy into. He's not a means to good deeds. He is the highest good in the universe. And when he demands our entire life, he is being incredibly loving. Because he says, you can spend your life on all those other things, but they're not as good as me. And the best thing that I can do for you is call you to myself. God does what he does for his name's sake, which is our good. That God is a good God. That news is good news. And if that's not the gospel that you know, you need to encounter the Bible. You need to encounter the God of the universe who shapes and changes us all the time. As I've been thinking about this for the past six weeks, I have looked at myself and said, Jesus, I don't love you like I should. I don't treasure you like I should. You are not, so often, moment by moment, hour by hour in my day, you are not the highest thing of value in my life. And what God is calling us individually, collectively, as the body of Christ, is for you to leverage your life for the gospel of Jesus. 
to pin your hopes on the character and the person of God because he will not fail. Every other thing that you can put your hope into, all your energies, all your devotion, is a kingdom of somebody else. And the promise from Scripture is everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Every other kingdom in this world will fall, will fail, will get old and decrepit, will turn in on itself and will die. But the kingdom of God will not be shaken because God himself is at the center and the foundation. He is the author and he is the perfecter. He is the beginning and the end. He's the alpha, the omega. He holds everything together. He puts himself before all things that we would know that in everything Christ is preeminent and that God will not fail. And if you cannot be passionate about that God, there is a problem, and it's heartbreaking. Because we're just another social charity, another club for you to feel good about. And I don't want to be that. I, I understand that very few of us could say, yeah, that's me, that's how I feel about God. But how often do we not even want it to be about God? How often do we just want to, to be led in even the paths of righteousness for my own sake? We need to be brought to a place of repentance for our sin that we would worship ourselves more than God. I need to stand before God and said that I think that I'm better than you, and it's ridiculous. I think that my causes are better than the highest cause in the universe, and it's sin. I'm in love with how I feel when I do good things, or I stand up here and I speak well, and I'm not in love with Jesus. I'm moved by the things that make me comfortable and make my family feel good. And I don't love God like I'm called to. We have to be brought to that place time and time again that we would love God. And he would, in a loving fashion, destroy our lives and put himself and the center of our universe. Because when Christ is the center, when God is God in our lives, we are a people all of a sudden of vitality and strength and meaning. And that when suffering comes, we would even look at our suffering as a means to put on display the glory of God. And when good times come, we would look at our good times as a means to point to Christ and say that God is worthy of praise and honor in my life. In all things, Christ preeminent. That people that puts God first and makes God God took over the world. I would love to see us just be that people for wherever we are in Black Mountain. 
or Swannanoa or Montreat College. I would love for, for people to know that those people at Eyesight do lots of good things, but you know what I know they love the most? It's God. I don't even know who God is. I don't know what their idea of God is, but I know that those passionate people have given everything, every ounce of who they are for this God. I want to know a God that's worth that much. God is the gospel. He's come to save us into himself. He has come to make himself the delight of our hearts. He guides us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. The call to you, to me, to us together today is to get on board with that message. That God is great. And I won't waste my life for something cheap and less than the best. That life is valuable and fulfilled, and Jesus called it the abundant life because God himself is an infinite wellspring of love and grace and mercy and peace and truth. And when that's the life that we're plugged into, we experience the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we... God, we confess that we've looked in your face and said, what I want is more valuable than you. And my own heart's desire is more important than yours. Whether consciously or unconsciously, God, we confess we've made that choice over and over and over again. But God, I thank you that you are a gracious God who can turn us from sin and lead us in the path of righteousness. And God, I'm, I'm begging you, lead us in the path of righteousness. Make yourself famous through my life, God, whether by life or by death, by suffering, by riches, God, May the thing that people remember most about my life is your name. And God, I just pray that your glory would outshine us like the sun compared to a candle, God. I pray that we would be nothing in light of the love and glory of Jesus Christ in our lives. That we would be a people who are captured by the gospel. That we would be a people who have been rescued into the life of Christ of saying, not my will, but yours be done. God, I pray that we would be like Jesus, who even unto death said, this is not what I want, but God, if this is your way, this is what I want. God, I just... Um, I pray that this would be real for us. That tomorrow we would think about this and the next day we would think about this. That God, you would continually push this into our minds and into our hearts. And we are called to love you most. And that you will not fail. 
thank you for who you are. Thank you for being a big, big, big God at the center of the story, not just the author, but the main character who's invited us into your own story. Jesus, be famous through us. Amen.